What is going on, friends and fans? Ryan Dorn here, and thanks for joining me for another podcast all about helping you make your sales and marketing life way, way more effective. Glad to have you here. We got questions from Randy, from Fran, from Taylor, all across the country. Your listener questions coming up, everything from struggling about being ghosted to bosses that are a little bit wacky or crazy. We're going to answer your listener questions coming up. And what I want to do is talk to you about a new format that I'm using to host meetings with clients. We're going to follow Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're going to do a great job of building trust with these clients, and we're going to close more deals. That's all coming up next here on the podcast. Stick around, stay close. Here we go. From the Brainswell Media Studios, welcome to Ad Sales Nation with your host, Ryan Dorn. Each month, Ryan digs deep on the issues and challenges facing media salespeople like you every day. Ryan is a 28-year media veteran, an Emmy winner, a sales coach, and he still sells media every day just like you. Now, your host, your coach, your fellow media sales warrior, Ryan Dorn. All right, Deborah, thanks so much for that great introduction. I need to play that for my mom one day. Mom, are you listening to the podcast? <laughs> I know my brother Brandon is out there in sales land. All right, let's talk about hosting sales calls, calls that are going to close all kinds of business for you. I, I noticed because I have an opportunity to be on sales calls all the time with clients that sales calls tend to be a little bit wacky and people continue to sell the way they always sold. Clearly, you haven't read my new book called Selling Forward. Did I tell you about that? Selling Forward is my latest uh, sales book that's out there and a lion's share of the profits are going to go to the Golden Harvest Food Bank. So go over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble and check out Selling Forward. If you're an Amazon Prime member, of course, that would ship for free. You haven't read the book, I guess, if you're still hosting these old school sales calls. And I'm here to tell you, friends, you got to do it different. Why, Ryan? Why do I have to do it differently? Well, because pre-COVID, when we did buyer studies to determine what type of buyers we were meeting with, for the most part, it was kind of a 50-50 mix. 50% were somewhat emotional, making decisions based on how they feel. 50% were logical, making decisions based on pure logic. Not a lot of people doing a little bit of both. It's pretty rare. So you're either one or the other. Here's the rub, friends. In a post-COVID selling environment or pandemic fatigued environment, some people just can't wrap their head around COVID even being behind us. When (laughs) When you think about it, you're talking about a lot more emotional buyers. Why? Because they're tired. They're frazzled. They're just, they're dazed. They're sick and tired of being locked down and things like that. So how do we kind of make this all work? Well, first we got to recognize what buyer sets are out there. So every Friday, the folks that I coach, they report back to me what type of people they met with this last week, emotional, logical, or ego. Right now, as of last Friday, we're seeing about 68% of people still making decisions quite darn emotionally. Now, let me make sure I'm clear on something. I'm not trying to make a political statement, not in any way, shape, or form. And I am a political kind of guy, but I'm not doing that on the show. That's not what this show is about. I'm just asking you to consider if 60, almost 70%, 7 in 10 of the people that you're meeting with are a lot more emotional in nature, we need to do our meetings, we need to host our meetings in a little bit of a different format. We want to play in to that emotional mindset rather than trying to beat up somebody that's emotional with a bunch of logic. Make sense? What do I mean, Ryan? What do you mean? Well, trying to win over or sell somebody that's emotional with logic is really like trying to talk the keys out of the hands of a drunk. 
The more logical you are, the more emotional they get. And eventually you just got to take the keys, right? Because you're not going to logic to a drunk person that they should give you the keys. You're just going to have to be action oriented. All right. So what's the format that I'm following? I'm following a format that really is based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Oh, no, Ryan, are you taking taking me back to psychology class in high school or college? I am because it works. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a motivational theory in psychology comprising a five-tier model of human needs. Needs lower down in the hierarchy must be satisfied before individuals can attend to the needs that are higher. Let me give you the rundown since you're listening. It's one to five. On the bottom of the pyramid is people's physiological needs. Once the physiological needs are met of an individual or a client we're meeting with, then they move on to their safety needs. That's number two. So number one is meeting their physiological needs. Number two is meeting their safety needs, making them feel safe with you and the environment. Number three is their social needs. How does what you're selling them, how does that improve their social game? Maybe you're selling them advertising. How does it make them fit into the greater grand scheme of things within the sector that they serve? So one is physiological, two is safety, three is social needs. Number four is how does somebody feel, their esteem needs. Are there esteem needs? What's esteem? Esteem would be how they feel about themselves, but how they believe that others interpret them as well. And then step number five is self-actualization. I really can't control that. That's really on them. Self-actualization is, have you reached the aha moment of the circumstance? Have you got to the top of the pyramid? All right, so once again, one, two, three, four, five. Number one, physiological needs need to be met. Then number two, safety needs. Then number three, social needs. Then number four, their esteem needs. And then number five, they reach the aha moment, the nirvana, self-actualization. So how does it apply to sales? Here we go. For me, step number one is always about validating time. And the reason that you want to validate time is because of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've got to get past level one. Level one is their physiological needs. When you validate time and you say, Bill, thanks for the 20 minutes. Do you still have 20 minutes? And Bill says, yes, he knows that you recognize that you're on the clock. There's nothing worse than being on a sales call when you don't know when the end of the sales call is going to was going to come. So when you think about that, to make someone feel comfortable physiologically, you want to validate time and you want to set an agenda. Now, a lot of folks first don't validate time. It's a good old Sandler sales training technique. Bob, do you have 20 minutes? Still have that 20 minutes? I do, Ryan. Thanks so much. Now you know that you're on the clock. Step number two is setting an agenda for the meeting. I'm not worried about setting an agenda in advance. I mean, you can do that. That's great. But what I'm worried about is on that sales call, here we go. Bob, thanks for the 20 minutes. Or Bonnie, thanks for the 20 minutes. Do you still have 20 minutes? Sure, Ryan. Bonnie or Bob, there's three or four things that I'd love to cover with you today. One, I'd love to share some success stories with you. Others that are using our product, having some great success. Second thing I'd love to cover with you is ask you a few questions about your business. Make sure that the ideas that I've brought with you are in alignment with your needs, your goals, and your desires. The third thing I'm going to do in that agenda is I'm going to provide recommendations on the spot. Unless you're selling something that's highly customizable, why are you not presenting ideas and pricing on the spot? Are you selling the cure for cancer? Pretty complex, right? Probably not. And then the fourth thing I always do is I'll say, Bonnie, Bob, if your answer is yes at the end of this conversation, awesome. If your answer is no, I understand. We'll work together at some point, but just let me know. 
If you need more time to think about it, not a problem at all. Happy to have you think about it. So what I'm trying to do is physiologically at the bottom of the pyramid, get somebody comfortable with me. It's called quick trust. Trying to get them real comfortable with me. Validating time and setting that agenda. And that allows me to move on to number two, which is all about the quick trust. It's all about the trust factor. And that's number two of those safety needs. Okay, number two about those safety needs and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Building quick trust happens in that first five, 10, or 15 seconds. So that's why I'm a big fan of going to LinkedIn, doing research on the person and the company, because the fastest way to make somebody feel safe with you is if they feel like they kind of know you and, and you feel like you kind of know them. You know, stranger danger is real. I talk about it all the time and people don't believe me. You've been programmed since birth not to talk to strangers. So that's why number two on the pyramid is safety needs, because when someone feels safe with you, they almost always have a better conversation with you. And that's where LinkedIn research comes into play. Remember, though, from my agenda, the first thing I want to do is share some success stories. Success stories also feed into level number two, which is those safety needs on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's why I am such a big fan of success stories, because it makes people feel comfortable when they know that they're not the first one to ever try your product or service or work with you. Very, very important to share as many success stories as you can. Now, you know, obviously I want to try to keep it to three or four. I want to detail them out and I kind of want to make sure that I'm brief in the process. Okay, number three is social needs. What do you do to provide social needs and make people feel like what you're selling them will help them socially? The social game is real, friends. How somebody feels within their workplace, how they feel within their community, how they feel within the industry sector that they serve, and, and you've just really got to talk about it. Now, as a lot of you know, I'm in the media sales business. That's where I spend a lot of my time selling advertising. So one of the things that I do there is I try to ask advertisers, customers, you know, do you want to have a basic presence in our community? Do you want to be a little more competitive in our community? Or do you want to dominate this community? And then I can help them feel really good about their decision from a social perspective. Now, everybody you deal with, whether you're selling software or advertising or washing machines, everybody's involved in their community in some capacity. Sometimes you're buying a TV to make you happy, to make your spouse, partner, whatever happy. And sometimes you're buying a, a bigger TV so that you can have a bigger one than your buddy's got. Everybody's got social needs. Everybody's social scenario is different. But what we know is true and we always know is true from a social perspective is social proof. Have others tried your service, your product? Who are these people? Because that's why folks say that word of mouth or referrals is the best form of marketing out there. The best sales leads come from referrals. And that's always because recommendations drive social proof. See, an implied recommendation, an implied referral comes when you talk about other clients you're working with and how much you love working with them. Social proof and social needs fall in that third category because everybody wants to make sure they're socially accepted. Now, you might say, well, I don't. I don't care what people think. I know who you are. You're that person that parks crooked in the parking lot at every restaurant that I attend. You make me mad. <laughs> I'm sort of kidding. 
park correctly, would you? If you start at the bottom, physiological needs, those are being met. Then we've met their safety needs, and then we've met their social needs. Now we're on to the fourth part of that, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and that's esteem. There's social needs, and then there's how they feel about the decision that they're going to make with you, whatever it is that you're selling. What do you do from that esteem needs perspective? Esteem for me is all about recommendations. I want them to feel in their core that I am the person they should trust to be able to make recommendations to them and that these recommendations are real, these recommendations are valid, and these recommendations will guide them down the correct path. See, a lot of you, what you want to do is build a custom solution for every single person. A, that takes a lot of time. B, there's no social proof in that. C, it's not recommendation-based. Maybe you've heard of a company called Nielsen. Nielsen is really big in trustworthiness rankings. What is the most trusted form of marketing out there? Do you know? The most trusted form of marketing, according to Nielsen, across every age group is recommendations from other people. You know that that's true. You've heard about a restaurant. You've heard about a particular product, a particular service, a political figure, whatever the circumstance is, and how you feel about them or the circumstance is really based upon the esteem that that person feels, the recommendations that you've heard about. How many restaurants have I gone to with friends that have been recommended to us? I didn't even know about it until it was recommended to me. That fourth piece of the puzzle, the fourth level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is what are you as a salesperson doing to make that person sitting in front of you feel really good about the decision that they're going to make. Here's the thing. There's this whole idea pre-pandemic, this whole idea of, I, I want ideas that are out of the box. I want to do things that nobody else has done. Well, that adventurous spirit has kind of gone by the wayside and it's kind of sad. I dedicated a whole chapter of the Selling Forward book to just understanding what pandemic fatigue looks like. People are just tired, and that affects their esteem. Friends, when you think about hosting meetings with folks, also a part of that esteem is how are we going to follow up with these people? What do we do to make sure that we follow up with them in a robust way to help them order or buy or whatever from us? And the way that I do that, and we're going to talk about it coming up here with Mike Obert in one of these questions that was sent in today. One of the things that I like to do in ending meetings is I want to make sure from an esteem perspective, I know how they want me to follow up with them. Are they a text message kind of person? Are they a phone call person? Are they a smoke signal kind of person? Do you have to send them cookies and cake? I mean, what is it? That esteem piece of the puzzle, once we help somebody feel good about themselves and we're going to follow up with them in a way that they want us to follow up. Now, there's a caveat to that. I met with a person the other day and they're like, well, you know, Ryan, follow up with me in two weeks. They didn't want to set a date on the calendar. They didn't want to do anything like that. They just wanted me to call them in two weeks. And that's a point in most sales calls where I stop for a second and I need to be asking myself, are they really interested? Because somebody that's really interested, it's probably not going to take them two weeks to set up a follow-up call. Now, from an esteem perspective, friends, when we can get in alignment with a client's esteem, we can help them reach the self-actualization, which is the top of the pyramid of point number five. If we want people to feel really great about themselves and reach that aha moment, that ah moment at the top of the pyramid, we've got to drive them through all of these five steps correctly. 
See, a lot of you, you're so focused on your customer needs assessments, you forget that these are real people too. And that's why I love Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a way to drive my sales meetings, my sales calls rather, with clients. Google it, pull it up online and recognize friends, if we can number one, physiologically make them feel comfortable, then we can get on to the second step. Number two, help them feel safe working with us. Number three, we provide them social proof, help them feel good within the social environment. Then we get to step four, where we make them feel really good about buying from us. Then they push themselves to step number five. Friends, never forget, if sales was easy, everybody be doing it, and they're not. I used to say we're crazy, we're not crazy. This is a career, friends, that'll feed your family for a lifetime. I mean it, and I live it every single day. All right, stick around, stay close. I'd be a pretty terrible uh, sales coach if I didn't have some podcast sponsors. So 30 seconds for those, and uh, we'll be back with digital sales strategy from our friend Charity Huff at January Spring. And then we've got your listener questions, one of your favorite parts of the show. I know you've told me that. With uh, Mike Obert from Open Look, that's all coming up. So stick around and stay close for that. Friends, we'll be right back in 30 seconds. If you would, let me pay some bills. Take care of those that take care of all of us. We'll be right back. The Ad Sales Nation podcast with Ryan Dorn is brought to you in part by the strategy and design team at Web Publisher Pro. When it's time for your media company to have a top-notch website that is designed for optimal revenue potential, turn to David and the creative team at Web Publisher Pro. Learn more online at webpublisherpro.com. Thank you to the team over at OpenLook Business Solutions. Outsource sales tasks, data cleanup, telemarketing, design tasks, or hire a virtual assistant. Reach out to Mike at open-look.com. That's open-look.com. Thank you to the fine folks at January Spring. If you are looking to grow revenue by offering white-label digital services like SEO, social media, or programmatic ads, reach out to Charity over at JanuarySpring.com. Charity loves to strategize about growing revenue. You sell it and January Spring fulfills it. Learn more online at JanuarySpring.com. Okay, now back to the show. Here's your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. Thanks, Deborah, and thanks, friends, for sticking around for that. It's always important to pay those bills, right? Also want to tell you about uh, the fundraiser that we're doing for the Golden Harvest Food Bank, which is a part of the Feed America network. You're probably blessed like me and that you have food on the table each night, but there's thousands and thousands of Americans uh, just like us that unfortunately are going to bed hungry at night, and I don't want to ever see uh, that happen. So when I started writing Selling Forward, I wrote it for salespeople like all of you. Then I also decided I was going to make it a fundraiser uh, for the Golden Harvest Food Bank. So when you go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and you order the Selling Forward book, it's all about post-pandemic sales strategies or pandemic fatigue, I guess we could call it, because post-pandemic makes some people a little crazy to even say that phrase. But anyway, we wanted to write uh, that book in an effort to help all of you salespeople, but also a lion's share of the proceeds after all the profits after printing, etc., are going to go to the Golden Harvest Food Bank. If you don't have one in your area, please donate to the Feed America Network. All right, friends and fans, it's that time of the program where we're talking digital ad strategies with my friend Charity Huff from January Spring out in Denver. And Charity, I'm getting uh, stoked and excited um, to see you in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, across from D.C. at the Niche Media Conference. Um, you're bringing your whole team, I hear. 
my whole crew's coming. We cannot wait. It's going to be so beautiful right there on the harbor. Old Town Alexandria is such a beautiful place. Thanks for picking a good spot for all of us. Yeah, it's going to be great. And then, you know, maybe um, on next month's podcast, we'll give everybody a little a sneak peek of uh, where we're going for the next niche media conference. Uh, let me give you, I'll give folks a little bit of a clue. Um, lots of the color purple, Ooh. lots of fun uh, in the South. And if you don't have a good time, you just don't know how to have a good time. <laughs> that's all I'll say. Yeah, that's, that's I like that. Yeah, there's um, the clue. I'm thinking a little purple, a little gold, maybe. Yeah, okay. So don't spoil it. Don't spoil okay. it. Yeah. Okay. I think okay. You're, I think you're figured out. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be great fun in uh, in Washington D.C. Hey, uh, Charity. You know, folks. I think uh, one of the things that our sales reps, publishers, media companies are asking is with all the changes happening with operating systems and mobile phone changes and all the concerns with privacy, kind of what's coming, what's the future of programmatic advertising that we all kind of need to know about? You know, this is part of what I love about digital advertising in whole is that it never stays the same. It is constantly changing because of technology, because of consumers, because of policy and government, all of those things. So for us, it always opens up just a new frontier for what can happen next. Um, the future of programmatic is following exactly what's happening with consumers. So programmatic is shifting from being very um, specific to a browser or a specific kind of phone or those types of things, in part because of what you said, Apple made huge changes last year around privacy and people have to opt in in order to have their data shared on apps within Apple, all of those things. But what the industry has done is really been watching what the consumers are doing. And what consumers are doing is we're moving seamlessly from our desktop to our mobile phone, to the big television in the living room, and not even thinking about the fact that we're switching screens. And so that's what's happening with programmatic. It's called cross-device targeting, mm -hmm. where the platforms on which we buy and everybody buys programmatic, they're starting to stitch together and they're saying, we know that this human who happens to be Charity Huff logs right. in to Hulu on this laptop, this desktop, and this big TV over here. Oh, and by the way, it happens to be her Gmail account. And I can see that she has that same Gmail app on her phone. And all of a sudden, it stitches together, oh, if she's my person I'm trying to target, these are all the different places I target her. And it has nothing to do with cookies or anything else. So the industry is just moving beyond that. Does that make sense? It really does. I love the phrase stitching it together. Is Now, is that a charity phrase or is that an industry phrase? You know what? I'm going to take that. I think that's a charity phrase. <laughs> Copyright, charity. Huh? Yeah, I like that um, a lot. One of the cool things about this that I also like is that unlike Facebook, where advertisers really can take control of this themselves and they really don't think they need us, even if they do, because we can help them. This is really not something that Joe or Jill Consumer is going to be oh, able to do no. on their own. So that's pretty cool. I actually saw it when I was, um, my car unfortunately got, got wrecked and had to get a different car. And as I researched on my computer, I saw ads on my phone. Then when we're watching a streaming service yep. um, over on our big TV, Xfinity's, you know, really great for, for stitching that stuff together. 
And it really did work. I also noticed when I researched weather, so I got a different car. I researched the WeatherTech uh, floor mats that you put in your mm-hmm. car. Those guys um, do an amazing job with their marketing. Wow. And then they're getting so good. They somehow know that I didn't buy a truck. I mean, we live on a farm. I have an SUV and they started giving me non-truck ads, but SUV ads. Mm -hmm. And I'm just waiting to the point that they figure out what kind of car it is. And then I'm going to be seeing (laughs) it's true specific to my car. They're just getting better and better and better. So it sounds like you're pretty bullish about the future of programmatic. I am. So here is a stat that doesn't come from charity. E-marketer is predicting that programmatic advertising is going to account for 86% of all digital ad spend in the U.S. by the end of the year. That's a crazy statement, right? Because that's inclusive of some of the things Facebook does, some of the things that Google does, but it's because it includes display advertising, video advertising, streaming audio, streaming TV. All of that is bought programmatically. You have to remember programmatic is a terrible term for just (laughs) how ad inventory is purchased, Right. right? So- If you're a publisher and you put some of your remnant or unsold avails out on a network, an ad network, people like January spring can bid on that inventory. That's what programmatic is. So it's not going away. The way in which we target the audiences will continue to evolve, but it should Because one of the things that happened during COVID is that consumers finally got a bit more tech savvy. So even your grandma knows how to read a QR code on her mobile phone now, right? Right. Um, Everybody just does things seamlessly. If I am picking up dog food at the local neighborhood pet store, I want to be able to order it online and swing by and have them loaded in my trunk. Like all of that stuff means that people don't think of digital versus offline. It's just the same experience. Yeah, for sure. And one of the things that I'd love to share with all of our fellow media sales warriors out there is some of you struggle to sell programmatic because you think that you need to understand every intimate detail of of how it works. First of all, you don't, as a sales rep, need to know every intimate detail. And B, your advertisers don't need every intimate detail. So if you're struggling to sell programmatic, which I don't know why, but I notice that a lot of times my ad reps are trying to explain what's inside the sausage and how the sausage is made rather than just selling the sausage as being this amazing, fun thing to eat. Or most people, if they knew what was in a hot dog, they wouldn't eat it probably. So are you, are you explaining what's inside the hot dog? Are you just enjoying the experience of, of eating a hot dog? And so friends, I would encourage you that those of you that Uh, just are struggling with programmatic, reach out and get some help. Um, If the vendor you're using, the partner you're using is not offering good training, that could be a problem. Um, I've got classes on it. Charity loves to, you know, to talk about it. But let me ask you, Charity, before I let you go, I feel like that is the problem. If someone's struggling to sell it, I feel like that's the problem because the technology is not problematic. I feel like the sales rep is trying to over explain it. I do see that a lot. Um, And those of us that live digital every day, we love how the sausage is made. So I would say that sometimes we might get caught up in, in explaining too much the technology, but you're exactly right. As a sales professional, our job is to say, 
who's your target customer? Let's make sure we describe them properly. And look, we can reach them through geofencing, addressable, keyword, site retargeting, curated audiences. That's as far as you gotta go. And all you're doing there is just helping the advertiser understand that it's not one thing. You have to reach people in multiple ways on multiple days, right, yeah, I like Ryan? That. I like that. <laughs> you hear me say it all the time. So I'm glad that it's uh, it's flowing from your lips as well. Uh, JanuarySpring.com, JanuarySpring.com. And Charity loves to strategize and has bandwidth for even more uh, companies like yours if you're not working with her and her team, or if maybe the vendor you're using now, the partner you're using now is just not just not where you feel like you need to be. Um, I love the fact, Charity, that your team is willing to take the time to hold people's hands um, because we are dealing with a, you know, a pretty stout technology. So I'm glad to hear that. So, all right, Charity, well, good to connect with you. And I look forward to seeing you in, uh, in Alexandria, Virginia for the Niche Media Conference coming up here in, in a couple weeks. See you soon. All right, friends and fans, it's that time of the program where Mike Obert from Open Look Business Solutions uh, joins us and we answer your listener questions. So we've got uh, questions from Randy in Atlanta, ATL, as he says, uh, Taylor from Boston, and then Fran from Spokane. Um, how are things at, uh, at, at Open Look and uh, 032, uh, 032 Man, outsourcing we, as well? <laughs> we are busy. Uh, there is lots going on. Uh, I feel like the uh everybody is uh, 2022 has been kind of a growth year for a lot of people and, yeah. and you know getting over all of the covid stuff and and moving forward with their businesses and trying to grow it so we've seen a lot of growth with a lot of our customers and a lot of businesses that are looking to outsource some of their uh, labor and some of their staffing needs well i mean it's a it's a real problem right i mean we, oh. i hear people all the time say i just can't find people that you know want to do this work and for those of you that don't know um, Mike is not only a, a sales pro and a friend and a big supporter of the, of the show, but uh, my virtual assistants, uh, graphic design, personal virtual executive assistants all come through Open Look and uh, these folks are absolutely fantastic, Mike. So I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm really thrilled yeah, to work with no, them. So. No, I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, all in the Philippines, uh, they work tirelessly, they're loyal, they uh, are very talented. So no, I appreciate the shout out. Yeah, it's great. All right, so uh, let's get to, uh, Mike, if you're ready, let's get to Randy's question. Randy from Atlanta, uh, just up the, the road from me. Um, here's the question. Uh, Ryan and Mike, I am struggling with being ghosted uh, after meetings for all of those of you over the age of 50. That means people don't call you back. <laughs> Any ideas? <laughs> Sorry, that's I wasn't trying to offend. Any ideas on reengaging clients um, that... I have gone dark from Randy in Atlanta. Um, Mike, you want to take that one? You want me to take a stab at it first? Um, yeah, no, I mean, well, I can take a quick stab at it. Great. I mean, I, and I know exactly what he's talking about. Of You go into a great meeting, you walk out and you're like, holy crap, I, I just knocked this out of the park and I'm, <laughs> I'm ready for this guy to sign his contract. And you wait and you wait and you yeah. wait Crickets. and then you email him back and you're like, hey, I thought this was a great meeting. So some of my techniques is, has been, you know, moving off and away from, hey, where's that contract and back into what, you know, for, from an advertising standpoint of like, uh, let's start talking about the materials that you need. So um, it's moving a, a little bit off of, hey, I need to close this contract more into what can I do to help you get that, that contract closed. Yeah, no, that's great. And I really agree with you. A lot of times, um, just don't, you already asked for the sale, you're following up. So you don't want to come across as being a past. 
So asking about the project itself, like, hey, um, don't forget we're going to need this for your ad, or we're going to need this to complete this project, or we need to get uh, things aligned up for staffing issues, or we've got limited inventory, um, so we need to make sure we put that on hold for you, that kind of thing. But what I also do, uh, Mike, tell me your thoughts on this. At the end of every sales call, I've kind of got a three-step process. The first is I get out my phone and we both mutually agree to a quick 15-minute follow-up meeting. We put it on the calendar and I make sure that they you know, get engaged. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing is I just ask them, if we lose touch with each other, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if you, if you stand me up for this date of the follow-up, What's the best way to engage with you? Is it text? Is it smoke signals? Is it carrier pigeons? You know, what, you know, what is it kind of laugh? Yeah. Um, and then the, the third thing is that I really want to see if there's any takeaways, like here's what they owe me, what I owe them. So kind of look at my notes and like, I owe you um, this design specs. Um, I owe you the number of seats for the software or whatever. So I always try to do kind of those three things. Do you, do you do that, Mike? Do you, um, at the end of the call, you know, set the follow-up meeting right there on the spot or how do you handle that? Yeah. Most of the time I do most of the time I'll say, Hey, pull out your calendar or, Hey, I am open, you know, on Friday at one o'clock. Does that work for you? Um, so yeah, I, I do do that a lot. Actually, I just got off a sales call with a vendor of mine who did it to me and, and and I (laughs) applauded her. I was like, Hey, that's good. That's good. You're, you're setting your follow-up. So yeah, yeah. no, I, I totally agree with that. It's an important piece of the puzzle. The other thing though, is everybody wants to set a 60 minute meeting on my calendar. Like stop yeah. doing that. I don't have 60 yeah. minutes for follow-up. Yeah. So let's just say that your client wakes up in the morning, Mike, and they they're checking their phone, they're checking the news or whatever the weather is, they're laying there in bed and they look and they're like, Oh man, I got a 60 minute meeting with Dorn. I got time for that. You yeah. know? But if it's a 15 minute meeting, it's like, all right, that's fine. I, I can I, make 15, that happen. Right. So yeah. um, Randy from Atlanta, that may be something to consider as well. Maybe your follow-up meetings are way too long. Yeah. And, um, and so those are just some thoughts. Hey, one, one yeah. quick thing on that, on the 15 minute, I love the, uh, the 10, 15 or the 10, 45 uh, meeting. Okay. Cause to me in my head, it's like, just like you said, it's a 15 minute meeting. Like if, if it's from 10 to 10 30 or 10 to 11, then I'm like, ah, I don't know, 10, 15, ah, it's going to be a quick meeting. <laughs> it's a 15 minute meeting. You know, that's so really I've, good. That's I've good seen point. that on more like on Calendarly and those kind of apps that there's a lot of those 10, 15, 10, 45, 11, 15 meetings. Um, and I, I really like him. Yeah. There's a guy that I worked with um, years ago and um, he was really a big fan of setting meetings on the quarter hour um, because he just really felt like, you know, that it just, it, it was a bit of a psychological thing. Um, so it is something I don't do it, but you know what? I might try it. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Good. Try it. Um, all right, Randy uh, from Atlanta. I hope that uh, I hope that helps. All right, uh, Taylor from Boston. Next question. Uh, Taylor asks: Most of my clients' sales cycles do not mesh with when my manager wants deals to close. What is it that I can do? So I'm going to guess that Taylor, what's going on is that, for example you're trying to close out deals at the end of the quarter, for example. Your boss wants you to close out the deals at the end of the quarter, but the client is delayed or their sales cycle, it's gonna happen in the next quarter. So imagine what you're asking is, what do I do to get their sales cycle to line up a little bit more with our sales cycle? And I, Mike, I'm, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll grab this one first. Yeah, go. Um, um, I don't think that you wanna get 
clients to mesh with your sales cycle. I think you want to mesh with their sales cycle. Now you could play this podcast, um, you know, perhaps um, you could play that uh, Taylor for your boss, but I'm here to tell you right now, that's probably not going to work out, you know, for the job. (laughs) Um, So what you do, Taylor, is you got to get ahead. Okay. You've got to work ahead. So if you know that that client sales cycle, if you determine it's going to go beyond the quarter, you've got to start backing up the way that you work with your clients. So if you know it's going to take three months, you better start three months in advance. Yeah. Sometimes you just, you know, just don't know. Right. So I'm pretty sure, Mike, that's what Taylor is talking about. Maybe you have a different take on that. Yeah. So no, I'm, my take on that question is, let's say, uh, and I'll go to publishing and, and magazine or, or something being released in like October, November, and there's not really a holiday-ish issue. And right. you've got people that want to promote what's happening within the holidays. And you're going to be out maybe just a little bit too early and your uh, next issue will come out at the beginning of the year. So how do you hit those holiday people? And, you know, a lot of times it can be, you know, dual messages within the ads or something like that. So like you said, you've got to, you got to find out what your customers needs are, and then you've got to figure out how you're going to make it work within what what you're delivering, what your product is that you're delivering. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, for me, it does. Yeah. And the other thing you might consider, uh, Taylor, is let's just say you're in the advertising business where we're uh, publishing where Mike and I live a lot, is that you could say things like, hey, we need to get your inventory on hold, you know, because we're going to be in a limited inventory situation or something along those lines, because that would allow them or, hey, we've got a real backlog of creative design. It's going to take us a couple months to get you in the queue here or, or whatever. Um, just to try to help them have a little bit. I think a lot of people call it, Ryan, how do I increase the sense of urgency in my clients or something along those lines? Yeah. So yeah, it, it happens. Good. It doesn't matter the business, right, Mike? I mean, everybody's got different sales cycles. So Exactly. Yes. But, but then also Taylor, do what you're told, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> we don't want you to get fired. <laughs> exactly. So, Which is uh, a good lead into your next question, Ryan. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And that was a friend from Spokane. Um, that asked this question, uh, Ryan and Mike, I work remote. My boss wants me to be on 90% Zoom meetings and not phone meetings. I'm a bit old school and I'm really struggling. Please, in all caps, uh, help. So <laughs> that is a pretty good segue, Mike, into that. Because <laughs> if your boss wants you to, to switch from phone to Zoom, you might want to do what you're told. It's <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> but there's, there could be a lot of factors Typically, if you say you're a bit old school, uh, Fran, I mean, typically you don't do Zoom because of several factors. Either A, you don't intimately understand the technology, so it's kind of awkward and hard uh, to use. So that's something you can go to lynda.com and you can learn more about that or watch the tutorials. The other is you may not have a good space set up in your house for Zoom calls. So every time you do the Zoom calls, you feel like you don't look good, the environment doesn't look good or you know whatever. So you may want to uh, yeah, don't you have well. don't you have a virtual seminar uh, regarding that of the how not to look like a zombie? I do. Yeah. Thanks for the reminder of that. Yeah. If you go over Fran, go to YouTube or anybody, um, go to YouTube and search for how not to be a webcam zombie. And it's awesome. YouTube, um, you <laughs> it's, know, uh, it's really good. Um, you know, a lot of it, Mike, like you've got a, a nice microphone um, and a light um, as well. And um, I've got a nice mic and light. A lot of times, Fran, it's just like you don't, 
you, you don't, it doesn't feel like it, it looks good. It doesn't seem professional because you're in your kitchen or whatever. And just there's a place in your house that you can find where you can make that, you know, you can make that really work. Yeah. And, and then Zoom has the virtual backgrounds as well, too. So it's easy to kind of hide what's going on uh, behind you. And to mm-hmm. know, maybe back up Fran's boss yeah. a little bit, I require <laughs> I require all my people to be on camera on Zoom. Not just a, hey, I'm calling you on Zoom, but I want you on camera on Zoom. Uh, one, you make a more personal connection when you can see somebody online as opposed yeah. to, I'm old school, I love phone calls. I would rather call somebody on the phone than text somebody, but I would also rather do a Zoom sales call than just a regular phone call. Um, I just think it's more of a personal connection that you get with that person. Well, the other thing is it just makes it a lot easier for you to share your stuff. I mean, you can share your screen, you can show examples. And I don't have the exact scientific data in front of me, but in in uh, in general, you only learn so much through your ears. You take in so much more and the comprehension and retention is so much better um, when you have some type of visual in front. So if I recall, it was something like, don't quote me, 60 some percent of what you learn, you, you get through your eyes and the rest of it you, you hear. So I feel like, uh, Fran, there's also a visual element that will potentially help you sell more. But here's the big thing. Charisma is contagious. So people can see it in your face. Yeah. Um, but Mike, you're probably like me. Like I watch people on a Zoom call to get their uh, to get their body language and to kind of see the reaction in their face as well. 100%. And also the people that are on your Zoom call and they're distracted and they're doing emails and you can kind of get that sense and try and do something to bring it back. If they're on the phone and they're working on their email, you have no no idea. Yeah, no, you don't. And you don't know if they're paying attention or, or anything else. So uh, Randy, uh, Taylor, Fran, thanks for sending in your questions to Ryan at RyanDorn.com. All right, friends, keep those questions coming. And if you've got some outsourcing needs, uh, open look, uh, business solutions, open-look.com. So Mike, thanks so much, man. Sure appreciate yep. your insights. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right, friends, so that is the podcast for the month. We sure appreciate you listening each and every month. Do us a favor and spread the word. I'd love to come speak at your sales conferences. I'm doing a lot of that, speaking two or three times a month, um, so reach out to me. Love to come to speak at your uh, sales conferences, your national sales meetings, and get your team all pumped up. And then also don't forget about our fundraiser. Uh, If you head over to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and order my new book, Selling Forward, uh, the, all the profits after a printing, et cetera, are going to go to the Golden Harvest Food Bank. If you don't have one in your area, be sure to donate to the Feeding uh, Feed America uh, Network. So the website is RyanDorn.com if you want to connect with me and have me come to your sales meetings or whatever, things like that. And as always, we sure appreciate you. Never forget, friends, if sales was easy, everybody would be doing it, and they're not. We're not crazy. We're the chosen few. We found this career that'll feed our families for a lifetime. All right, friends, God bless you. Get out there and sell something, and we will see you next month.